Welcome to the PA Books podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. While the focus is always on Pennsylvania, topics like the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Industrial Revolution, the coal and steel industries, and authors like John Updike, David McCullough, and John Grogan have a universal appeal. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, the author of Growing Up Amish, Richard Stevick. Richard Stevick, your book, Growing Up Amish, The Rumspringer Years, this is the second edition, and you write in the beginning, uh, since the first edition, the scene has changed dramatically as thousands of youth in the large settlements are dedicated Internet and Facebook users thanks to their sophisticated smartphones and e-savvy Amish peers. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, young Amish with smartphones and Facebook accounts? Mm -hmm. When I finished the first edition of the book, which was in <clears throat> 2007, I, I shifted somewhat to mental health issues and worked part-time at Green Pasture, which is a re residential treatment center for, for uh, troubled Amish people. It's uh, associated with Phil Haven. So I, had, I, I put my youth studies on hold. And then in 2012, I got a call from my editor at Johns Hopkins and said, Rich, what do you think about the Amish, on face Amish youth on Facebook? And I said, what do you mean? <clears throat> I had written eight words, I think, in the first edition on telephones. That was it. And he, he said, well, there's an article in the Lancaster Sunday News by Gil Smart, and it's on Facebook Amish. And he said, I think we're ready for a new edition, and I think that should be one of the things we look at. Well, it didn't... I decided on the spot I wanted to do that. So I sort of retooled and moved back into this area and found out that it's, it's alive and well and how it came about. Amish youth, I guess, traditionally have had an interest in technology and the fact that it's available and it's, it's captivating and it's uh, instant. All these things evidently appealed to them because we're talking about lots and lots of Amish youth. On Gil tried to get in touch with either 10 or 20 people on Facebook that had Amish sounding names and he tried to friend them and he, predictably he didn't get one response. They're allowed to have cell phones? Allowed to have, um, they can get away with it. I would say probably no parent, no Amish parent would say we want you to have a phone, it's so convenient to have it. But uh, during the Rumspringa period there's more latitude and a lot of youth take advantage of this latitude to get wired up or get online or go Facebook or whatever it is. Were you able to friend some of them on Facebook or see what they put on there? Eventually, yeah, eventually. Uh, getting information on Amish adolescents is not an easy task. Uh, it's a protected, it's basically a, a area that Amish parents feel uneasy about because these young people are in that liminal period where they're, they're not under the parental control as they were up until, up until they were 16. So they're, they're concerned about their youth, and they're not happy when they hear that their youth are involved in things. They would rather, many of them would rather turn a blind eye and hope that it goes away, that it'll be a fade, and a, a fad and passing, and usually this does happen. Instead of forbidding it? Um, 
they have to be careful because these youth, um, these youth as Anabaptist youth, choose as an, as an adult, meaning for them 18 or 19, whether to join the church or not. And uh, a lot of parents worry if they push their youth too hard that their youth will just leave and not become Amish. So they have to be cautious about how much pressure they put on. Isn't there a concern that if they get too exposed to the non-Amish world that they will be lured away? I would say you have just hit on the number one concern of Amish adults these days. I think there's, out of all the issues that are around, I think probably uh, the internet and smartphones are the things that they worry about most. And most parents have very little understanding. They know that pornography is available. That is their number one hot button issue as far as the internet. But they don't understand it and they don't know what to do about it in many cases. So you were able to friend some Amish kids? Uh, yes, <laughs> I, have, I have. I'm not sure how many Amish friends I have right now, Amish youth. When they join the church, they should not be my friend anymore. Uh, there are a couple that are still on. But uh, my breakthrough came, I was actually, when I got the call from the editor, we were in Pinecraft, Florida, which is a whole other story. It's the Amish, the Amish snowbird capital in Sarasota. And I was there for six weeks, I guess. Got the call from the editor. And uh, I said, yes, I'd like to do it. So I had one 18-year-old friend of a family that I asked her if she'd be willing to come and talk to me about some of these things. And she said she would. She came over, my wife and I, it was just the three of us, my wife, who's also written on Amish things, and studied Amish. My wife and she and I sat down. And we were talking for maybe five minutes. And I noticed that her eyes were going down as, as I asked questions. This is an Amish girl? This, was an, this is a girl who has grown up in an Amish home, right? She was 18. So she was in the room, Springer. And she would answer the question, and then I'd ask her something else, and she would. And this happened for maybe five minutes, <laughs> which was a surprise to me, because even my students at Messiah College didn't do that when we were talking. <laughs> so I thought, let's find out what happens. So when she would start texting, then I would stop talking. I would just, and so she's texting, 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 and she looks up and she said, oh, oh, don't worry, I'm good at multitasking. <laughs> That was my introduction to, to the world of the internet through her. She became a very close friend and consultant. Uh, she was my key to Lancaster County. At that time, she had probably 600 Facebook friends. Most of them had Amish names. But there, I don't know whether you know, there's a church called Spring Garden in Lancaster County that ex-Amish go to or those who had Amish grandparents who have Amish sounding names. So I didn't know whether these are fit, uh, Spring Garden people or whether these were brought up Amish or whatever, because most of the people with those names didn't look at all Amish. They didn't dress Amish. They looked like my Messiah college students. The, the girl, the Amish girl who was texting, was she, how was she dressed? She was dressed Amish, yeah. She, she looked Amish at the time we were getting together. I, subsequently, I, I learned that, that you know, that's, she, did, she did that for work and she did that for church but not too often otherwise. So what did you learn about Amish kids by uh, looking at their Facebook pages? Mm -hmm. um, well, I learned that, again, that visually it was, it was hard for me. I should tell you first that she, she was my entree into Lancaster County Amish because 
um, I ran off of her 600 and whatever two names and asked her if she would be willing to identify who is Spring Garden, who has grown up Amish, who has left the Amish, who are church members. And she did that. She sat down and did for all 600 people. She told me at one point, she said, Rich, uh, I don't want to take any more. I don't want any more Facebook friends. She said, that's just too much. Well, I, I forgot to look before I came today, but I'm guessing she has in excess of 1,000 now, is my guess. She, she also pointed out another thing the parents worry about, and then I'll get back to this. Uh, her, she said, I don't know what people find attractive about Amish girls, but she said, yesterday I had 16 people ask to befriend me, and she didn't, she didn't know. Well, she's an attractive gal. She was dressed Amish, and who knows why this happened, but uh, it's an example of the kinds of things that worry parents, too. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you find out on Amish Facebook pages? You find out how they spend their weekends. You find out what sports teams they, they like, what sports they participate in, how their teams are doing, uh, where sometime, sometimes where the parties will be. Uh, you find out what their favorite television programs are, their favorite movies. They watch television? Amish youth. Now, we're talking about a segment, Brian, of Amish youth. We're talking maybe 20%, which are atypical. This is an atypical segment of Amish youth. Okay, so we're, we're looking at those at the more extreme end. Um, they would be basically, uh, they would just blend in in society the way they dress. They're conscious of fashions, Abercrombie and Fitch. One, one girl told me, she said, well, I... She said, I had Ab- Abercrombie and Fitch a couple years ago, but she said, that's, that's past. She said, the 16-year-olds are wearing that. So they're, they're fashion conscious. Uh, I learned a lot of things about their style of dress. Uh, I didn't, I, I had, this was a crash course in popular culture also. I did, know, I did not know what board shorts were. A lot of the guys, uh, when they're playing volleyball in Florida, are wearing board shorts, which are sort of Bermuda-type shorts, but they're single colors without the patterns and all that stuff. Um, I did not know what tankinis were. Uh, do you know what a tankini is? Uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> a tankini, I think, is it's a sort of a bathing suit with a... It's not a total bikini. It has some kind of a around-the-neck strap, I believe. Um, so you know what they dress like. Uh, I learned about the wild end of the extreme. And again, I, not all youth who are on Facebook are into the wild behavior, but those who are into beer pong, I have to confess in my sheltered life, I had not known what beer pong was. <laughs> I have learned. This was my crash course on pop culture, by the way. So your, your book is subtitled The Rumspringer Years. Mm-hmm. So just a, a baseline, what is the Rumspringer and uh, what do people misunderstand about okay. it? Okay. Um, the Rumspringer, is generally speaking starts at age 16 and it lasts I guess a real marker for the end of it would be uh, marriage now not everybody marries so that that isn't a purely definitive but that's that's when the typical Amish person stops the rumspringa rumspringa doesn't denote like like uh, many of the uh, shows on TV show it as being a, wild, a walk on the wild side or a perpetual spring break or Amish cut, cut loose. It's, it's not that way for most Amish, but there is a segment there. 
Um, the parents release the students and their, their uh, youth from the kinds of supervision often that they've had up until that point. And they're, they're pretty carefully monitored up until the age of 16. At the age of 16, they start going to singings on a Sunday night. Singings for the typical Amish person, uh, youth is the most uh, common social event. And for one of our youth to go to one of their singings, they would wonder what in the world is the attraction. Because here are a bunch of youth sitting two sides of the table, boys on one side, girls on the other side, singing German songs, religious songs, uh, that some of the youth don't even know what the words are. Maybe at halfway point, they will move into, uh, into English hymns, that kind of thing. But there's not much interaction, there's not much carrying on in a typical scene. But it's a time now to be away, and they are now establishing themselves among their peers. Their parents aren't, aren't uh, ordering their friendships or whatever. They're, they're free. And ultimately, most Amish parents will tell you, ultimately the goal is to find their mate for life, and the singing is the arena to do that. You, you say in the book, at one point you, you quote a, a younger girl as saying, I'm, like, I'm counting the days till my 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. Is there something that happens on their 16th birthday or some ceremony or something there, where say, here it, you go? It's not like the quinceanera in Mexico. There's no celebration. The boys do get a horse and carriage in most settlements. So that, again, that's, it, it's a rite of passage to a degree. It's not the ultimate rite, but it's the first in the rites of passage. So they know what one day they are under their parents' control and the next day they're next not. Next day, well, it's not that drastic. Uh, they will take liberties as time goes on. Although in some cases, I had, I had a young person tell me that they said, when I was 15 and 364 days, I was this way, and the next day it was partying, drinking, carry on. That's, an ex that's not the norm, but that certainly is the experience of a, a significant minority of, of young people. So they, they don't have the constant supervision that they had in the past. And being with peers is a heady experience, plus knowing that probably my lifetime mate is in this, this group, uh, this singing group, that I will find someone. So um, do they, um, they dress differently once they start? It depends. <laughs> the majority do not dress uh, appreciably different to our eyes. Uh, the Amish would notice some of the, maybe a girl would wear a gold pin or they would have a little puffiness in the sleeves uh, or the sleeves might be shorter. Uh, those kinds of things, maybe a little rouge for the girls. But that, that would be a typical Amish youth. The ones at the extreme extreme room spring and would dress much different, more differently. The interesting thing, however, is despite their wildness, when they go to church or when they go to funerals or weddings or whatever, they dress in compliance with the standards of the community. So it's the, the one thing about Amish youth is when they're running around, as they say it, in Rumspringa, they're primarily doing it together. They're not doing it with outsiders. So I would say most young people are not saying, oh, this is my preparation to get into the English world. I don't think that occurs to many, many, most of them. But it is my chance to experience some things before I take the vows of the church and settle down and become, get married and become a, a stable Amish person. Do they live at home? Yes, they invariably live at home. Do they have jobs? Yes, they start working. When they, their, their schooling ends at 
eighth grade. And then in Pennsylvania, they go until they're 15 at a what's called a vocational school, which was which is sort of a nominal experience. They write down what they did during the week and they learn German hymns and things. It's just once every three hours during the week. But after uh, after that, then then they uh, they move into jobs. They'll start working at home. The girls will help their mothers. The guys may work on, if it's a farm, which is a minority experience anymore, the guys will work on the farm or they'll go, by the age of 16, many of them are working with construction crews in helping. The work ethic is one of the core Amish values and the Amish are miraculous at, at imbuing work habits in their youth. Do they work for non-English companies? Uh, some do, and uh, that's where, I don't know whether you recall, Brian, 1998, Lancaster County made the news when three young Amish men were accused of and, and convicted of selling drugs to the Amish people through their contact with the Pagans Motorcycle Gang, who worked, the Amish, some of the young people worked for the Pagans uh, in construction, and some of the Pagans worked, I guess, in Amish-owned companies. And, so that's why they're leery, sometimes leery, of those contacts with the world. Now in Indiana, youth, as soon as they are of age, and I think it might be 18 there, they'll work in RV factories, trailer factories, right alongside of, of non-Amish non people, English people as we call them. So that's where they get the money to pay for the cell phones? Yes, that is. In the past, probably as little as 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Basically, all of the money except uh, a, an allowance skimmed off w went to the family. Uh, it was when you came of age, then you could keep your own money. Uh, the parents often, if, the, if they were able to manage without that money, they would save it up for when the, when the young person turned 21 or when they got married. But nowadays, that's not nearly as common. How long a tradition is the Rumspringer? How long has it been in active? I don't know. Existence? Nobody seems to know. Uh, as in terms of the kind of wild room springer, this has been going on since, I, I remember reading a New York Times uh, article from 1909 where somebody had cut the tail off of Jacob, Jacob Graber's horse and uh, they had upset things and, you know, sort of, sort of uh, strong pranks, uh, not violent kind of things, but it's been going on for a hundred years. Is it in all Amish communities? And it depends how some of the Amish define Rumspring a bit differently than I've been des describing it to you. The New Order Amish, which opens a whole other arena, the New Order Amish say they don't have Rumspringa. They do in the way that I described it, that there's less parental supervision and there's now the chance to look for a mate. They don't, New Order Amish basically do not have wild Rumspringa, and they're about 10% of the Ohio Amish. Uh, so it's a minority group. The Schwarzentruber Amish, who are on the other end of the spectrum, who are the plainest of the plain, they won't even ride in, they won't ask me f to ride in my car, they won't use a telephone unless it's an emergency. They say they have no room spring either. Their kids just go from being teenagers to being church members. But the, the fact of the matter is that pretty much they behave, the Schwarzentrubers behave the same as those who have the typical room spring experience. And New Order are more New Order are more... More, Technology? They would, yes. New Order are more, I would say, evangelical Amish. Uh, so they have much more strict standards on smoking, drinking, courtship practices, uh, technology, those kinds of things. Uh, 
It's interesting, Brian, that the plainer the group, the more likely they are to keep their young people, the more likely the young people are to, to become Amish, whereas the more liberal groups like the New Order are much more likely to have their people sort of drift out the top and go into some conservative Mennonite churches. I want to read you something about that because you, okay. you <laughs> say um, in your book, um, when young people go out, you quote an Amish man, when young people go out drinking and partying, an Amish man explained, they know that they're acting wrong and need to stop it before they come back. When they start going with the Mennonites, they begin to question the whole Amish way of life, and mm -hmm. that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Another man who eventually left the Amish concurred. My parents worried more about me visiting a Mennonite church than about my brother who was out partying and carrying on. I would be the one to come home with questions. Mm. That's Worse a, to, to hang out with the Mennonites you than picked to hang out, out with You picked out a very significant passage because the Amish way traditions are very, very deeply treasured and, and kept and uh, the, the New Order people, for example, are much more reflective about their faith, I would say, than typical or Old Order. And they come up with questions such as, well, why, are we speak, why do we do church services in German? I mean, we, uh, why at least don't we do them in Pennsylvania Dutch? Now, they do them in Pennsylvania Dutch, but the issue would be, why can't we just do them in English? And some, some Amish churches tried to do English, and they... They left the Amish before it was done. I mean, they they dispersed. So the language is the language is probably key for their identity, for their separation. Uh, there are just a lot of things that that enter in in, in causing someone to be a devout or, or a committed Amish person. And getting in with the Mennonites causes them to raise questions such as why do it in English and how about the new birth and what's wrong with assurance of salvation. These are some of the issues that the New Order people have raised. And uh, it, it, it gets complex. I deal with it in a whole chapter on, on Amish faith and religion. Who decides these things? Who decides what our community will believe? <laughs> I, it comes down in the genes, I guess. It, they're Anabaptist people. This really shapes a lot of who of of their core beliefs, who they are. So it it came down from the 1520s when the Anabaptists broke away in the Radical Reformation, and they turned their back on the Catholic Church and they turned their back on on infant baptism, uh, turned their back on the military, and decided that the the community and giving oneself up uh, to simplicity and giving himself up to the authority of the community. So the community decides it based on their understanding of scriptures and the traditions that have guided them throughout the years. How often do schisms happen where one group splits off? I don't know how often. There's a book out, uh, Settlements Who F That Failed by David Luthi, a convert to the Amish, by the way. Settlements That Failed. And a lot of the settlements in that book were a result of schisms and breaking because of, of interpretation of scripture or enforcement. Shunning has been a big issue that has caused divisions among the Amish. Uh, most, uh, most communities are not as strict as Lancaster County, for example, in what they call a strong shunning or the strict mighting. Uh, there'll be a way for people to join other churches other Anabaptist churches 
in Ohio Amish, for example, without being put in the barn or shunned. But Lancaster County has been a bastion, a stalwart believer in strong shunning. So if there's shunning, you have nothing to do with that person anymore? It's, it's not that, it's not that uh, black and white. There are certain restrictions uh, in the scriptures. There's a verse that says if someone has left the faith that you should not even eat with him. And so if uh, Amish who are in the bond who have been shunned go to a wedding, they will sit with people like me who are not members. They'll sit at a separate table. There'll be maybe a gap that, that big from one table to the next. And you might not even know a person is being shunned, depending on the settlement. Whereas in other settlements that are more conservative, uh, if someone leaves, they're virtually, they're not invited to weddings, they're not invited to funerals. It's as if, almost like the, like the Jewish Hasidic Jews, it's like the son died or the daughter died. When you started studying the Amish, had you had any contact with Amish people before that? I, had, I am such an unlikely person to have done this study. Uh, we moved to Lancaster County in 1966. This past winter has been a bad winter. The winter of 66 was really bad. and We were in upstate New York. And I said to my wife, I don't, I don't think we need to live here. And she, she agreed. And we came to Lancaster County then. We moved into a house built by an Amish builder. And one of my goals was to get to know an Amish person. And at that time, I had absolutely no success in developing relationships at all. Uh, it, just, it just was frustrating and... I cannot tell you, Brian, how many dozens of eggs I bought, hoping, you know, the sun, no Sunday sales, eggs for sale, almost for sure it's an Amish or a horse and buggy Mennonite place. So I'd like a dozen eggs, hoping that someone would just invite me in, just invite me in, because I had no idea what, they, what the inside of their houses were like. Never an invitation. So it took, it took, I finally gave up on it. And it took someone at Messiah who was teaching a class on the Amish to allow me to get to know their friends, and entered into the, into the uh, Amish world and have been there ever since and been learning. I teach a class on Amish life also. Where? Uh, at Messiah College. So we just we taught a course this spring. We had nine students go live with Amish families in Ohio and, and then live with Amish families in Pennsylvania. How did you find Amish families willing to have English Lots of footwork, lots of footwork. But, but having established, when, once you establish yourself as a reliable friend among the Amish, uh, it just, unless you abuse it, it's a lifetime thing. So getting to the first place that my wife and I stayed was an Amish minister. Turns out he was a, a reputable, had a good reputation among the Amish, and he became a bishop. And we're still friends. In fact, I'll be staying there tonight at their place. Uh, and so those kind, when I tell somebody I know David so-and-so, really, you're friends with him. Well, I have instant credibility. And so I've been able to learn, learn about youth through those contacts over the years. And people have been willing to confide in me, knowing probably in some t- cases they felt more comfortable with me since I had nothing invested in the church when they needed to, when they needed to talk about some of their frustrations. What are their houses like? They're pretty much, pretty much like any farmhouse, except uh, no electricity. So they'll have, uh, depending on the settlement, they'll have propane uh, lights or Coleman lights. Uh, in Ohio, they have actually, they have underground gas there, so they have gas lights. Uh, 
some of the very conservative ones have kerosene lanterns. Flush toilets? Uh, depends on the level. There, again, there are about a dozen levels of Amish. So the lowest level of, they, that's the term they use, the slowest or lowest level of Amish. They have outhouses and uh, n they have no hot running water inside. It's sort of like Little House on the Prairie without the glamour. <laughs> and then at the upper end, I've, see, I've been in Amish homes with uh, gold fixtures in their, in their bathrooms. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recognize much the difference between their house and my house. How many uh, Amish kids did you talk to when you put this book together? Are we talking, if we're talking both books, uh, this would be a, a revision. I don't know, probably more than 100. What do you talk to them about? I talk to them about uh, what kinds of things they enjoy doing and what's happening in the groups or gangs. Gangs are the names. It doesn't have the same sinister connotation as New York City gangs. For, but the youth groups, what's going on in the youth groups? What are the new youth groups? What's changing in the buggies? What's a good buggy horse? Uh, can I go and see you by your carriage? Um, just lots and lots of things. Of course, for this book, I did a lot of talking about about the internet, electronics, and what their interests were there. You have a phrase in your book, uh, buggy gangs, mm. which seems like an odd combination yes. of words. <laughs> it is. That's Southern Lancaster County. Southern Lancaster County is generally the most conservative part of Lancaster Amish. Right along th between th uh, 340 and 30 is generally considered the most liberal part. So people down in Georgetown and Buck and all those places, those Amish are definitely more conservative. And most of those youth, or many of those youth, belong to gangs that have open tops. This was the way it was when we moved to Lancaster County. All the youth had buggies, courting buggies with open tops. And then about, I think maybe in about uh, 68, the first youth started uh, actually having closed top buggies. And there was a quite a bit of concern among the parents because uh, who knows what's going on in those closed top buggies and they're not open for inspection and they wondered if there was going to be a rise in sexual immorality and so forth. Nobody seems to have recognized that any of that changed. I mean, that there was a rise of any kind. Did, uh, do they date when they're doing this Rumspringa? Yes, they, that's like one, one of on the, one dating? That's one of the big attractions of Rumspringa, yes. Uh, some settlements you don't date until you're 17, and some uh, 17 and a half or 18. Some not until you're a church member can you date. But some, they start the very first night, 16, they go to the singing and they ask a girl to go home with them. And that's, that's the start of their courtship. So courtship practices vary significantly. It used to be very secretive in the past. Uh, the suitors coming up and throwing corn or pebbles against the window once the parents were in bed. And uh, the girl coming down to meet them and having a snack and whatever. But that's, that, that secretiveness only exists now in the most conservative. So most people know who is dating whom. Do they date outside the Amish community? Dating non-Amish? That's probably the number one fear of Amish parents, that their child would date a non-Amish person. Because you can, you can guess the, the likely outcome is if they really, really become serious and want to get married, decide to get married, the English person is not going to convert to the Amish and it's much and if he or she does it's much more likely that he or she will leave the Amish uh, after a few years so that is that's probably the biggest fear that parents have that their kids will get involved with 
English youth. How do they get to know English youth? How do they get to intervene? Well, the fast, the fast track youth, uh, they'll get to know them at work and they'll invite the youth to their parties, uh, to their huts. Uh, this was something I learned in this edition that there are huts that some of the guys in Lancaster County and in Holmes County, Ohio have. A hut is a building that they rent. It may be, it may be uh, as large as your studio here. Uh, and they'll have a big screen TV and they'll have a bar and they'll have loud music and they get together, socialize, have their dances there and drinking and so forth. Um, so there's, there's drinking? There's drinking among a, that, a considerable minority of Amish youth. Yep. Uh, I don't know whether this is part of their German heritage or just part of youth heritage. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of, I would say probably 20%, 25% of youth probably imbibe on a regular basis. I just ask a young, uh, we had a young Amishman over to our house, single guy, 22, just this past week, and I asked him about, about that. And I said, your youth, many of them are binge drinkers. Every weekend they are drinking to excess. And yet I know of almost no, no Amish uh, adults who appear to be alcoholics. And most of my Amish friends can't name alcoholics. How does this happen? I asked my friend David, the one that uh, was my first host, David, what do you think? And he said, well, he said, I think in English society, binge drinking often goes along with people who are self-medicating. I, I may be quoting him exactly. Uh, they're trying to get away from bad family situations or disasters in life or whatever. And he said, our kids generally don't have those to get away with. And he said, they're drinking to have a good time. And he said, I think maybe the dependency occurs when you're drinking to try to forget your troubles. This is an eighth grade graduate who said that, which is, I think, fairly perceptive. Do they smoke? Uh, much less than they used to. When I came to Lancaster in 66, I would guess that probably 95% of the farms grew tobacco and probably most of the farmers smoked cigars. Uh, it's probably 10% of that now. And... I think Ed, Edward Koop had some influence on that, the Surgeon General under Reagan. Uh, I think a lot of Amish really didn't think about the seriousness of tobacco. And so it would be a minority. Now, young people, my cover, there's a young guy Yeah, smoking. I want to ask you about that. Because mm -hmm. yeah. before this conversation, before we started rolling tape, uh, you said that the cover photo was kind of controversial. I've had some friends, not Amish friends, but uh, conservative Mennonites say, oh, Rich, I don't like don't like your cover and uh, it's a young man smoking and he looks disheveled <laughs> uh, he's probably going to church and uh, my my editor really wanted this cover and my initial reaction was no I don't want to use this cover uh, it's you know it's sort of sen sensationalized but it's not really I asked some I thought I'll ask some of my Amish friends and I showed them the picture what do you think of this he said, a lot of young people smoke, a lot of young guys smoke during Rome Springer. They didn't, they didn't see a big issue at all. So then I, I reconsidered, and I decided if I could get the permission of this young man that I would, I would use the cover. Well, that, that was two challenges. One was getting permission. The other was finding him because I had no clue who this was. Mm -hmm. And the photographer who took this had no clue either. So I started showing it to a few of my friends, and they, well, try South Groffdale Road. I think there's a guy there. Nothing worked. One Friday afternoon at uh, 
Messiah Library when I was working on my final stages of the manuscript. I, in desperation, called one of my Facebook, uh, Facebooked one of my friends and sent the picture and said, do you have any idea who this person is? And within 20 minutes, he answered and said, yeah, he works here with me. Really? So would you get, yes, he would get in touch. So a couple hours later, I got the call. Yes, this is so-and-so, what, what can I do for you? And I told him, you know, I was hoping to use the cover. And he said, uh, I'll get back to you in a couple hours. A couple hours later, he called, and he said, yes, he would, he would do it. He, but he said, what's in it for me? Which I thought was pretty clever. <laughs> Johns Hopkins doesn't usually provide money for covers. I said, I'll call them, and I called them. They really wanted it, and they said, okay, how about $50? I said, how about 100 They said, okay. So I called him back, and he said, yes. He said, the only thing I ask is that you don't uh, that you don't tell my parents and that you send me a copy of the book when it's done. So I said, that's fine, I won't, I won't do that. Well, are, his, are his parents not likely to find out about this? They probably know by now. That was on a Friday, Brian. He joined the church two days later on Sunday. If I had called him Monday, I know what the answer would have been. It would have been no. I, I, I can't give you permission because I'm a ch member of the church. So that was a rumspringa option, <laughs> which was fascinating. It was just a, it was a great experience to, to follow through on that. So that's one of the things you, you talk about is because the smartphones have cameras built into them yeah, and yeah. they take pictures of each other. Oh, and the, I, I thought the popular perception was that Amish didn't allow pictures of themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure that all most Amish in Lancaster County. Lancaster County is considered a progressive liberal uh, Amish settlement compared to a lot of settlements. And I'm sure that many, many, many Rumspringa youth in the past used their Instamatic cameras and whatever, but uh, n nothing to the extent that they, Amish with selfies. I didn't even know what a selfie was, Brian. Uh, Amish youth with selfies, lots and lots of them. Amish girls with uh, duck lips, do you know what duck lips are? Not. <laughs> I don't. I think I know what I'm with that sort of that pucker, the pucker on their lips. This is a common thing on Facebook pictures in mainstream society for girls to have this puckering. I'm. Sh I, I doubt that most of them consider it a sexual invitation. I think it's just what you see on Facebook. And we talked about uh, the the extremes during Rumspringa mm -hmm. and the extreme behavior, but you said most of them don't. Are there? Some who don't change their behavior at all during Rumspring? Sure, sure. I, I would say the majority, even in Lancaster County, would belong to gangs or groups that basically dress like their parents. They do the kinds of things that their parents would hope that they would do. They don't go out partying. Uh, they're not going to the movies. They're not, uh, they're not disobeying the rules. They're pretty much acting the way Amish, Amish parents would want them to act. So on a Saturday night, if they're dating, they, uh, they may have a date at their girlfriend's house and they'll maybe play games with the parents or with the siblings of the girl. Uh, on Sunday, they'll go to church and they'll go to the Sunday afternoon volleyball tournament, uh, volleyball games, and then the, the, din the Sunday supper, and then to the singing Sunday night. And they're not in this, in this extreme kind of behavior of drinking, partying, carrying on, that kind of thing. When they play sports, do they get competitive with oh, each man. other? Uh, I haven't seen them competitive in, in trash talking and in your face. Amish, 
Amish guys are tremendous softball players. And they've become tremendous softball players by re playing recess for eight years in, in their schools and then, then playing often in leagues. They have softball leagues in Ohio, Indiana, Lancaster County. These guys can hit it a mile. I'm, it is unbelievable. I would never want to be a pitcher in a softball game with Amish guys. You could get killed. They, are, they just brutalize the ball. They're they, very good. And they follow professional sports teams? Many of them do. Many of them do. If you go to their Facebook, they'll have, you know, the Phillies or the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns or Indians or whatever. Uh, so they, they do follow. There are other sports. Uh, Lancaster County has a hockey league that Amish participate in. Uh, one of my Amish female uh, friends said, Rich, you don't want... I, I said, I should go see that. She said, you don't want to go there. She said, it smells in there. <laughs> I guess it smelled like gym, gym socks to her. But uh, <laughs> hockey often involves a lot of hitting, and isn't mm -hmm. that yeah, and, counter to... Yeah, and I have not seen a hockey game. I'm sure if hockey involves hitting, they're hitting. I'm sure. But my guess is that they're not getting mad at each other or trying to really injure each other. Now, speaking of which, uh, mm -hmm. you, you say in... In my near, and this jumps around a little bit, but in my nearly 25 years of studying Amish adolescents, I have never personally encountered or even heard of a single case of an Amish young man hitting or beating up his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've asked that question repeatedly. And I think that's part of Anabaptist training of nonviolence, uh, of non-resistance, and modeling in the, in the home. Now, there, there's abuse in the home. I know that I know that there have been incidents in the home where husbands have, have hit their wives or hurt their wives or abuse. Uh, but it hasn't, it hasn't come down to dating that I have ever heard of. And I've never had any, I, I don't think I've ever had anybody tell me of knowing about. And I've worked in mental, again, a mental health settings, so I would think I would have opportunity to hear that. You refer to a, a rehab center that they have that is, uh, let's see if I can find it here. When certain youth exhibit repeated destructive or rebellious tendencies beyond the control of their parents, the adults may resort to more serious attempts to bring the resistant child, usually a son, into compliance, and they have faith-related rehabilitation centers. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what happens there? Um, there, would be, there would be regular disciplined getting up and doing chores and working around and so forth, the kind of things that kids generally do anyhow at their home. There would be a lot of Bible studies. Uh, probably emphasizing uh, giving oneself up. That's a very common, I need to learn to give myself up. I think the scholars call it Galassenheit, which means that willingness to give up your own way to, to, for the community's sake. The community is more important than my little whatever I am and whatever I want. The community is where the ultimate authority, well, the ultimate authority they would say would be scripture and God, but on earth, the community is all important. Are there times when, when the, a person's behavior during Rumspringa is so wild that the community does not want them back? Yeah, there would be, and this would be the time that they might send them to one of the rehabilitation. In the past, they would send them sometimes to a relative who had a reputation of being good, being firm but fair, and just to get them out of the home. Now this, we're talking a minority, a, a really a small segment. But the Amish try to deal with these things themselves, if at all possible. They're not real happy to get children and youth services involved or the state. or They have a distrust of government that goes back to their years of persecution and martyrdom. 
uh, so they know what can happen if a government gets, you know, goes awry. And so they would rather deal with it themselves. How widespread is a, a drug problem among Amish youth? I don't think anybody knows. I don't, I don't know uh, how widespread it was. I know virtually all adults say that it is much less now than it was 20 years ago before the, before the drug bust. I think the drug bust in Lancaster County was one of the things that precipitated some serious changes. Um, you have a chapter in Amish schools in your, in your book, and you say that um, most of the teachers are teenage girls. Mm -hmm. So you have teenage girls going through Rumspringa and teaching school at the same time? <laughs> that they would be doing that, that's right. And um, these would be girls that have a lot of acceptance in the community. The, the adults, they're, they're screened to make sure that they are, uh, they are supportive of Amish values, of Anabaptist teachings and so forth. They want someone who's smart, somebody that can, can keep order. I cannot, I cannot imagine, I've been to one-room schools enough, eight grades to try to coordinate that day after day. I would not want to go to a school that I was in charge of for eight grades, but many of them have exceptional uh, organizational abilities and, and presence to be able to bring it off. The young man I was talking to the, the other night that I mentioned earlier, uh, he started teaching school at the age of 15 and three quarters. In other words, his oldest students were just maybe a year and a half younger than he was. And he's been, he taught for six years. And there's, in Franklin County, a, a young girl started at the age of 15. And she had three first graders and she had, I think, 21, 25 students. She had her sister help her. I mean, that is an incredible level of maturity to be able to bring that off. What do they teach in those schools? What are the, the important subjects? Basically what they've been teaching for the last hundred years. It's reading, writing, arithmetic. Uh, they might ha they'll, they'll have music, singing. They'll have maybe simple art in some of the schools. Uh, science is not a popular subject. The Amish equate uh, evolution and science. And so they may do nature study. Uh, but they don't, they don't do really formal science at all. And their kids come out, their, their goal is not to prepare them for this world, it's to prepare them to be good Amish people and prepare them for the next world. And the kids come out with exceptional poise in terms of work, being able to be independent workers, to be providers. I don't know any Amish who, who are living on the dole. I just, it would be almost uh, unbelievable. You say toward the end of your book, the Amish, at least in Western societies, are arguable the masters of transmitting their culture to their sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. How do they do that? With all these other distractions <laughs> and with, with the Amish kids when they go through Rumspring exposed to everything that's in the world. Brian, that's the thing that's kept me studying this subject for the last 20 some years, how they do it. And uh, they would say they do it by example as much as, much as by precept. So they have responsible families. They, they grow up, generally speaking, in intact families. If something gets really out of line between the husband and the wife, the church will try to work it out, to intervene. To, if financially, if, if uh, a doctor's bill comes along and you know, it threatens to destroy them, the community will have whatever it takes to, to get them. So it's a fruit, it's a, a field that's just ripe for growth. 
and the kids identify with their parents. There's a lot in, in the Amish families that I'm most acquainted with. There's a lot of affirmation and love in the home. There's not a lot. I rarely ever have heard of Amish say, oh, I love you, I love you to their children. But it's just so evident that, that there is love in the home. I think that strong family bond helps to explain the retention. Uh, there are some other things that would, that would cause them to stay. I think uh, certainly some scholars say the fear of shunning, that if you do leave once you've joined the church, then you're subject to being put in, in the bond. Uh, and that, that would be certainly a deterrent to some. In certain of the very conservative communities, uh, they're taught that if they break their promise, it's like divorcing God and they would feel that they would go to hell if they left the Amish. So that, that is a deterrent in the very plain communities. But I think the bonding with the parents and children is, is a key to, to bringing them back. And, and I hear some Amish, Amish say, I, I wouldn't want to be out in the world with its divorce and its drugs and its this and its that. So a lot of us had thought that they were just longing to be like us. It's not true. You said that it's possible to convert to the Amish it is, community? yes. I know a few converts. Uh, I studied Pennsylvania German from a convert who had learned Pennsylvania German as a child. Uh, and they, were they motivated by the desire to get away from <laughs> the world? They had multiple motivations. Uh, the Amish worry about converts being motivated to marry their daughters. That's one of the things they worry about, and I'm sure that has happened. But I think there are people who are interested in kerosene lanterns and horses and a little house on the prairie. That's attractive to them and somehow this will be a simple life and I'll, we won't have the pressures of, of our society. Uh, some I think s religiously feel that this is more a New Testament. It's a simplicity of life that Jesus would approve of. Some are attracted to, I'd say, to uh, a young woman and especially guys outside coming in. So there have been 300 converts in the last couple of generations, 300 to the, to the Amish. Um, do you have any idea how many might have stayed Amish out of the 300? It was 100 have stayed, which is pretty impressive. One out of three have stayed. Uh, but it, it's not an easy life. Physically, the work is demanding. You don't have the family st structure to support you like those who have grown up in the society. You talk in your book about a couple of television programs that have nominally focused on the Amish. Amish in the City and um, Amish Mafia. Mm -hmm. what, what's your reaction to those and did you get any reaction from the Amish community? About uh, them? It's interesting that some of the young folks uh, have Amish and um, the Amish Mafia is one of their favorite, one of their likes of TV programs. But as one, as one young person said, Rich, she said it would be funny uh, it would be funny, Amish Mafia, but if it weren't that so many people believe that it's true. So I don't know anybody who has any knowledge of Amish that would believe that, this, that there's much of any truth in it. Um, Amish in the City was the first reality show that came, and it's probably, in my judgment, one of the most authentic of any of them. These were five Amish young people who went and lived in Hollywood in a hillside mansion with six English young people. There was a, a big uh, objection by some people who liked the Amish, saying that they were going to be exploited and made to look silly. And it turned out just the opposite, that the English young people were so entitled, so nasty, so whatever, and the Amish people were so interested in learning 
uh, <laughs> that it was a reversal of roles. And it may have been scripted that way in a sense too. Has, has Amish tourism changed the Amish community? I'm sure it has, especially in the big centers like uh, Holmes County and Lancaster County and Northern Indiana, because uh, a number of businesses will be dependent on tourist dollars. But uh, I'd say generally speaking, generally speaking, the Amish separate themselves from the tourists. They tried, I know in Lancaster, they try to avoid going into intercourse on Saturday morning just because it's such a jam and there's so many people and maybe so many questions. Uh, I know of Amish people that have had tourists come into the back porch and look in the windows. They've gone into the garden, looked, looked through the garden. A priest who had Amish friends, he told me this. Uh, he was in a buggy with his Amish friends in intercourse at the corner of 772 and 340. And as they get ready to pull out, a camera came in and snapped, flashed right in their face. And uh, when he told me that, my only consolation was realizing that when they developed the picture at that time, they would have said, I didn't know the Amish were Catholic, because here was this priest with a stunned look in his clerical collar. Now, you said earlier on that uh, the Rumspringer tends to end or ends with marriage. How, how does that happen? How does the courtship uh, and proposal and marriage? Oh, my. It's not secret anymore. Uh, the, most Amish do not condone their children dating around. They're, they're hoping that the person that you date first is someone you've really thought. And, and these young people usually know these other, who, who the others are, so they know their values and their, some of their uh, intricacies, etc. But um, they would really, uh, they would look for someone compatible and just start developing the courtship and that's, that means uh, in typical Amish, Amish communities, dating every other, every other Saturday night and then Sunday, the Sunday activities. Do they ask dad's permission to propose? Generally speaking, they do. Uh, dads like to do that, to have them ask, but some don't do that. Uh, and uh, again, the community will be supportive of a young couple who are dating. Their dating probably will last from six months to a year and a half. Uh, and then, then the marriage used to be in just the fall, but that's changing. There's so many examples. In, for example, in Lancaster County, so many marriages in the fall, they couldn't handle them all. One of my friends, minister friend, had 25 invitations for weddings in the fall. There were like 12, at that time, there were 12 days you could get married, and he had 25 invitations. He said it was awful. I said, David, uh, you folks are smart people. You can, why do you do this? Well, it's always been done that way. But they are changing, and now there are March marriages and June marriages and so forth. What do they do about out-of-wedlock pregnancy? Well, generally speaking, the couple will get married. Uh, if they're church members, they'll be put into the bond for six weeks. They'll repent. And uh, my, my sources tell me that this kind of sin is not any probably any worse than any other sin. And they're supported by the families, by the community. Uh, and at least my understanding is that there's no stigma that lasts all the life long time. Now, if, if it would be impregnated, a girl impregnated by an English boy, that would be a different story. They would probably wanna, want her to remain single or give the child up for adoption or whatever. 
You say that uh, in, in case of a, a pregnant bride, they do a quick wedding, mm -hmm. a small wedding, but then a, a deacon in a large settlement reported that young women who are in the first trimester of pregnancy will occasionally slip by with a more elaborate wedding. When mm -hmm. the deacon and the bishop ask the couple whether they have had a pure courtship, they lie just so they can have a big wedding. I was told that by a highly respected Amish minister. And I went to a wedding that was exactly like this. Uh, it was a huge, there were 600 people invited to the wedding. And it uh, turned out, the father told me, you know, three months later, well, you know, she didn't tell the truth. They were she was pregnant. But the, the family accepted the baby and they were put into the bond again. Now, once uh, someone is baptized, once they reach the end of Rome Spring and they go through baptism, is all the stuff they did during Rome Spring are forgiven? It's all wiped clean? I'm sure people remember things uh, with very varied emotions. But ideally, that's what it is. The slate should be swept clean. And some Amish have expressed the idea that some of the wildest ones seem to, seem to settle down and make some of the most stable community members. Now that was, you know, that's an anecdotal thing. But I know that that strain of belief exists for some people. You, you talk about how the, the Amish youth and the Amish community has changed in the 20, 30 years you've been studying it. Can you predict what's going to happen? Mm. I mean, what, what challenges do they face? What do they have to deal with and how might they accept things or not accept yeah. things? I'm not very good at predicting because in 66, I predicted that the Amish would be uh, extinct by the end of the century because I had heard of all this running around and terrible things that were happening. I had no clue what I was talking about, of course. And instead of uh, expiring, they quadrupled in that time period. So I'm, I'm not ready to make a huge prediction. I can say that I worry about, for them, I worry about the same thing that the Amish ministers and parents do, and that's the impact of the Internet. Um, is it possible, as one Indiana Amish minister asked me, is it possible for, some, for a group that's been trying to maintain separation from the world for hundreds of years now to have it right there? And he held his hand out with his, like the cell phone. Yeah, you have an Amish friend told me, a middle-aged woman sighed to me just recently that it's so hard to have an argument at a family gathering anymore <laughs> because whoever, whenever discussion questions arise, the kids whip out their cellies and Google it. That's exactly, exactly what I was told. <laughs> and, and it is widespread. My, my epilogue is where I really deal with this. Is, is it possible... Is it possible to remain plain and simple while being exposed to the internet for those formative years? And I just, I just wonder. I, I hope I live long enough to see. And we'll have to end it at that note. We're out of time, and we've been speaking with Richard Stevick. He is the author of this book, Growing Up Amish, The Rumspringa Years. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Brian. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.